we have to make sure that we are not only integrating technology with the other technology, but integrating technology with the person that we're taking care of. We have a special guest on the Look Left at Marketing podcast today. Her name is Christy Dempsey. I had the honor and privilege of working with Christy in my days with Patient Flow Technology and Press Ganey. Christy has three decades of healthcare experience. Currently, she's the Chief Nursing Officer at Press Ganey, where she offers clinical guidance to help clients transform the patient experience. Her work has led to significant results, including reducing wait times by up to 70%, improving patient satisfaction by double-digit percentiles, developing enhancing teamwork and leadership, and improving operations through scheduling, staffing, and data integration. In addition, Christy has been a faculty member of the Missouri State University Department of Nursing since 2008. And then there are the myriad industry organizations and nonprofits, such as the American Nurses Association and boards like the Missouri Organization of Nurse Leaders. It amazes me that she also finds time to speak and publish nationally and internationally on patient experience, nursing, patient flow, physician-hospital collaboration, and balancing cost and quality. Hailing from Springfield, Missouri, I'm thrilled to have Christy Dempsey with us today. Christy, welcome to the Look Left at Marketing podcast. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Did you travel at all? Have you been traveling? Not as much. You know, for uh, 14 years, I was on four planes a, a week and in four cities a week. And for the last year, not so much. I went from 110 miles an hour to nothing. So uh, not much travel. And actually, that's okay. In thinking about talking to you, so many topics, you could go on and on, and it was hard to choose, but I really think a good start is is the beginning, and when or what was the aha moment that you'd go into nursing? You know, this is kind of a funny story, so I, especially for you, so I had a full-ride scholarship out of high school for journalism, room, board, tuition, books, everything, president scholarship for journalism. But I was going to have to move away from my boyfriend in order to accept that scholarship. And I didn't want to move away from my boyfriend. And my mother was a nurse. His mother was a nurse. And so I stayed and went to nursing school. So I would love to tell you it was for all these altruistic reasons. You know, I wanted to help people. I wanted, But I, it, it mainly was so I didn't have to move away from my boyfriend. And I'm happy to report that my boyfriend and I next month will celebrate 39 years. Um, and uh, I've been able to write a book and write articles and white papers. And, and so I've been speaking uh, all over the world. So it, it all worked out. We'll get into the nitty gritty of the business and health business of healthcare because more than one person lately, and I don't remember who it was, and not doesn't matter. Nurses can play an even greater role in caregiving, maybe even than doctors for some reasons. For I can see patients, uh, excuse me, nurses are the ones that are tending to patients day to day, while doctors their schedules really required the swooping in and out, and that's a little harder for the long term caregiving. That's a simplistic way to say it, but it paints a clear picture. So, but do you think nurses are getting the status that they deserve status like doctors? You know, there's a a little bit of a hierarchy, I guess. Where do you think nurses are in that? That's an interesting question. And I've thought a lot about that. I think that it depends on the definition of status, right? 
because um, even uh, very recently and throughout the, the last decade, for sure, um, nurses are the most trusted profession. Nurses, so the community values nurses um, in terms of the, the way they care for people and that they trust them. So, uh, you know, I think that's pretty high status. In terms of hierarchy, bureaucracy, uh, I don't think nurses uh, get the credit that they should receive. Certainly nurses now bring with them business acumen, not just clinical skills, teamwork, um, leadership. And I would like to see nurses viewed in a little bit different light because of those attributes that we bring. Uh, you know, it's only been recently that nurses were at the table for boards, for example. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a wonderful organization called the Nurses on Boards Coalition. And it, that was designed to make sure that nurses had a seat at the table. In many organizations, the chief nursing officers didn't even have a seat at the board table. Um, that's started to change and it should. And I hope that it continues to change. I'm seeing more and more nurses in chief operating officer positions, more and more nurses in chief executive officer positions. And that's a good thing. I want to bring technology into this a little bit because I know informatics is a big topic, nursing informatics, and that has helped nurses improve their work and in treating patients and maybe more efficiencies. And they're the ones mainly who are handling the technology. Do you like what you're seeing in terms of the technology at the bedside? Uh, do you see that there's some improvements there? And what are your thoughts? I think it's a double-edged sword right now. So technology is exploding, and that is also a good thing. It's making a lot of the things that we do better. Data is at the core. We have to make decisions based on data. Evidence-based practice is around the data. And the problem I see in most organizations right now is they've got oodles of data. They have more data than they've ever had before, but they don't know what to do with it. And so I think making sure that the technology is integrated that it all talks to each other, and that we have a way to make sense of all of the data so that we're making good evidence-based decisions, I think is where we have to go. And we're not there yet. The technology doesn't talk to each other and the data is not intuitive yet. As I'm teaching nursing students, what I am seeing them do now is walk into the room and address the technology rather than connecting with the person who happens to be a patient in the bed at the moment. So that's the other thing I think is an issue. I think we, we have to make sure that we are not only integrating technology with the other technology, but integrating technology with the person that we're taking care of. You raise a good point. And as a person, as someone who understands EHRs and my doctors looking at it, computer and typing in as I'm talking. I get it, but not everyone appreciates that, especially those of, uh, of the older generation. They want you to look at them in the eye. But then it causes double work if they're talking to you, and then they have to, then I know that's been a big thing. So throwing technology is not the answer. It's the smart technology. Although it's better than it was, but 
as we, it seems as as we get more advanced, we find more problems and we'll find more reasons to say we need improvements, but we've come a long way. Would you agree? I would absolutely agree with that. And I tell my students and the nurses that I work with to make technology part of the way that you connect with the patient, not apart from it. And so don't do it separately. As you're typing into the M, uh, the EHR, look at the patient and say, I'm, I'm typing this information into your medical record because I'm keeping you safe. And so every now and then I might ask you a question just to make sure I have it right. And then the technology is part of the conversation, the part of the way that you connect with that person, not something separate. I guess getting that buy-in would make, make it a lot easier. Um, and then there's portals that makes, that makes it, I, I know that my physician's practices has the portal. I could see results. There's a lot of good stuff, especially with patient empowerment, owning their data, being able to see their data, access it, say where it needs to go and where it can't go. That part is good, but I know we're getting a little far from the nurse part, but you raised a good point about teaching. And so that was one of the things I was going to ask too, in terms of nursing or even medical school, is technology part of the curriculum or, and it should it be, and, um, and how is the curriculum of nursing training improved over the years? It's a huge part of curriculum. And it actually, I think, has made um, learning to be a clinician safer. So when I went to nursing school 30, almost 40 years ago, it, you know, we gave each other shots and started IVs on each other and NG tubes and all of those things on, our, on each other and our patients because those high fidelity mannequins didn't exist. And so being able to practice those kinds of procedures on a mannequin is actually, I think, much safer than going in and, and trying to do it on a patient for the first time. In, in that sense, it, it has helped. I think a mannequin is not the same as a, as a person. You know, mannequins don't cry and they don't try to hit you. Um, and patients do sometimes. And so I think it's a healthy balance between technology and um, real life. And we're able to teach them how to use the EMR and, and how to identify data and capture data. So I think all of that is part of the curriculum. And I think that's a good thing. What was it like for you to move out of the front lines in your, those days of practicing shots on each other into the management and consulting and academia and, and, and that, that and end of it all? So I, I've always had a pretty healthy dose of ambition. So from the very beginning, I was looking at how to, um, how to develop my career and uh, so I was, a, I was a bedside nurse for about 10 years. And then I was a very active manager and director in, in the hospital. So I was not the person who stayed in their office. I was out and about rounding, helping, doing things, uh, because that's the best way to get information to help the, the organization and your unit get better. Um, and then as a director, I started working with IHI. My hospital was one of the uh, charter members of the IHI Flow Collaborative. And so we did th some things uh, in my hospital that nobody else had ever done uh, based on what we had learned through IHI. And it got the attention of some of the IHI faculty 
like Eugene Litback. And uh, Dr. Litback kind of took me under his wing and we did a lot of, of interesting things in my hospital. And I started talking about that in IHI and then started doing a little bit of consulting. And then um, when the Eugene and uh, Rick Segris formed a company called Patient Flow Technology, they asked me to come and do consulting for that business. And so that's how I left the hospital. And then uh, Press Ganey acquired Patient Flow Technology two years later, and that's how I got to Press Ganey. I- I've never sought a, a promotion for a title or the money. I've always looked for ways to increase the influence that I have. And so every career move I've made was based on the kind of influence that I could have. So that's, that's kind of how I did. So as a bedside nurse, I can have influence over the patients that I take care of. As a manager, I can have influence over the, the patients, but also the people who are taking care of the patients. As a vice president, I had influence over uh, the way that the operations were run in my service line and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, as a, as an educator, I have so much influence over the next generation of nurses. And in my role at Press Ganey, I had, you know, influence over, um, how the experience of patients and care. So, so that's, that's kind of, I, I've never regretted moving away from the bedside because I had so much more influence over how care is provided. Do you ever just say, today I'm just going to go treat patients, just get back on the floor. Do you have that kind of power to just go, I'm going I'm to be on the floor today? Well, I, I'm not in the hospital anymore, but yes, I would totally do that. But I tell you, I was, um, I was a volunteer vaccinator for a vaccine clinic, for a COVID uh, vaccine clinic. And it was so much fun. I worked with one of my students and we were giving shots all day. And it was like, I got to be a nurse again. It was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. So yes, I do miss that. that and that was good. It was a little emotional getting those shots. You think, wow, finally, after this year finally going to be able to take your mask off and right oh that was something and that's i remember all the nurses in the clinics in massachusetts were wonderful well i live in springfield missouri which is a hotbed of covid19 right now i wish more people would be vaccinated if i could go out and give you know 100 more shots today i would do it this could be putting you on the spot and you could say i don't want to answer this are you trying to pull your influence to get people to get on board or are you is that a, not an effort in your Whatever I can do to help influence people to get vaccinated, I will do it because it is the key to, you know, I watch what's happening this summer here. Our hospitals are overrun. They've run into problems with ventilators and we can have as many beds and as many ventilators as they make. But if we don't have staff to use them to take care of patients, it doesn't matter. So that's where we are right now in the summertime which is when the virus is at its lowest. I am so fearful of what's going to happen this fall when it kicks back up and everybody's inside. If we don't get more people vaccinated, we're in really big trouble. You mentioned having influence and being a mentor. So who are your mentors and influencers throughout the years of as your career evolved? Well, obviously my mom was my first mentor as a nurse and a nurse leader. So she was a big mentor. I had a boss in the hospital. Uh, his name is Jay Guffey, 
um, I'll give him a shout out. He was an amazing mentor. And I have told him many times I would not be where I am today if it weren't for him. Uh, you know, I mentioned uh, Dr. Litvak because he, you know, he's absolutely mentored me. Uh, Rick is another mentor. Pat Ryan, who is the CEO of uh, Press Ganey, also a huge mentor. Uh, so there have been lots of mentors, and uh, I, I'm sure I'm leaving people out. Joe Griscoviak um, at Press Ganey. So very good mentors. There's one characteristic of nurses that I've always believed is uh, critical, but not always learned, and that's compassion. Uh, it's an intrinsic char- characteristic, and those are the best caregivers. Uh, I've witnessed nurses and doctors uh, with my aging parents and those who approach them with dignity and empathy and compassion were the winners and the ones that probably helped them heal the most, aside from the medication. It was the the more mental health aspect and the respect that they got from from the nurses and the caregivers. Sure, the knowledge has to be there. But this is a good segue into your book, which I have not read. And I want you to describe a little bit about the antidote to suffering, how compassionate, connected care can improve safety, quality, and experience. It's been out for four years. So talk a little bit about the impetus for writing it and, uh, and about the book. I like to say that I have a 360-degree view of healthcare. So I have been a staff nurse, a manager, director, administrator, executive, but I've also been a patient. I'm a breast cancer survivor, and I've been a family member of a critically ill patient. My son-in-law uh, in 2015 was a police officer who was shot in the head in the line of duty. And so with all of those experiences, I felt like I had stories to tell to help people understand the experience of patients. And I wanted to write a book that was not so much for the C-suite, because there are lots of leadership books out there for the C-suite. I wanted to write a book for people who take care of patients every day. And so every chapter starts and ends with a patient story, and most of them are mine. It's very raw and and vulnerable. Uh, But I think storytelling is a really good way to help people connect with um, why they got into this business in the first place. None of us got into this business, I hope, because we're really good at starting IVs or typing into an EMR. I hope that we got into this business to make a difference in the lives of the people that we take care of. And we have such a focus on clinical aspects of care, which are very important, but we, it's almost, that focus is almost to the detriment of the way we connect with that person. And so I chose those three words very carefully, compassionate, connected care, because clinical care is not enough and compassion is not enough. You have to have both. And it's the connection between compassion and clinical care and quality and the connection that we have with each other and with our patients that makes the difference. And so that's, that was why the book, why I wrote the book. And I, I'm happy to say it's, it's had a lot of really great reviews and I'm really proud of it. Even though it's four years old, everything in it still resonates today because it, it is important that we understand that the patient experience is clinical, but it's also 
behavioral and cultural and, you know, mission driven and all of those things, clinical, operational, cultural, behavioral, and all of those things make up the totality of the experience of patients and the people who take care of them. And so how do we look at the, look at that differently? It's not about making people happy. That's not what this is about. This is about compassionate, connected care. Then you have the, you know, the data deluge, uh, deluge and patient deluge and the burnout that goes on and how nurses and doctors can actually keep that in mind theoretically and in practice when they're getting hammered with all of this and exhausted. Do you address that at all and how, how we can help nurses and doctors to have that? What's the secret there? There's compassionate, connected care for the caregiver, just like there is for the patient. And there are themes that came out of that work that, you know, it's not about um, having more money. It's not about necessarily having more staff. It's understanding that they're working really hard and they want the people that they work for to see them doing that work and to be accessible and visible. That, you know, they... They want the stuff that they need to get the job done and they want to know where it is and they want it to work. That's not too high a bar. They want, they, they understand that teamwork is important and none of us can do this by ourselves and that healthcare is a team sport. So there are things that they need. And I think right now we need to make it okay for nurses and physicians to take a break and to actually get away from patient care and eat lunch and to take vacation and, and not, you know, I'm the first to admit, you know, I was the one who said, give me more call. Yes. I'll work the weekend. Yes. I'll do a double. Yes. I'll do, you know, and the problem is we have come to expect that of the people following us and that's not healthy. It's not healthy to do that. And so, Instead of rewarding people who do doubles and who take extra call and work extra shifts, we need to be applauding those people who actually take their break and go to lunch and take vacation. And so it really is a shift in the way we think about how we recognize people because we are perpetuating when we, when we don't let people take breaks and we, we, we applaud people who don't take vacation we are actually perpetuating burnout and instead of resilience. Did you say before you were writing a follow-on or was that, am I dreaming? I haven't started it yet. I don't know. I will write another book. I don't know if it's going to be a follow-on to that one or not. There's a lot to talk about. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I'm sure, especially when it comes, it's personal. I mean, you, that book is personal and that's the best kind of story. I mean, textbooks for nurses and doctors are one thing, and you have to learn the Gray's Anatomy and the big pharmacological books, but it's the the case studies, the use cases, and the people stories that really probably make a difference. I'm taking a lot of your time, but there is one question I do enjoy asking. Let's say you hadn't had that boyfriend, and uh, what would you have gone into had it not been nursing? Would it have been that journalism? Would you have been, or do you think there'd been another career you would have followed? No, I think it would have been, it would have been journalism. I love to write and I love to speak um, and I love to dig. 
You know what I mean? So I, I, I like to do the, the research and to find the answer um, and then talk about it. So it, it probably would have been journalism. You get to wrap that into what you're doing anyway, and we need, we need to be able to write. So Christy, I'll let you go and, and do the good things that you're doing and influence, but I appreciate your time today and it's great to see you. Uh, be well. Oh, you too. So fun. Thank you. Our thanks to Christy Dempsey for joining us here on the Look Left at Marketing podcast. We hope you'll subscribe to the Look Left at Marketing series. We're on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you might get your podcasts. And of course, as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions if there's people you want to hear in future episodes or topics you'd like to hear covered. Thanks again for joining us on this edition of the Look Left at Marketing podcast. Till next time, be well.